Chapter Twenty Seven of the May Flower and Miscellaneous Writings by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The May Flower and Miscellaneous Writings. Chapter Twenty Seven The Coral Ring. There is no time of life in which young girls are so thoroughly selfish as from fifteen to twenty, said Edward Ashton, deliberately, as he laid down a book he had been reading and leaned over the center table. You insulting fellow, replied a tall, brilliant-looking creature who was lounging on an ottoman hard by over one of Dickens' last works truth cuz for all that said the gentleman with the air of one who means to provoke a discussion now edward this is just one of your wholesale declarations for nothing only to get me into a dispute with you you know replied the lady on your conscience now if you have one is it not so my conscience feels quite easy cousin in subscribing to that sentiment as my confession of faith replied the gentleman, with provoking sang-froid. "'Pshaw! It's one of your fusty old bachelor notions. See what comes now of your living to your time of life without a wife. Disrespect for the sex and all that. Really, cousin, your symptoms are getting alarming.' "'Nay, now, cousin Florence,' said Edward, "'you are a girl of moderately good sense, with all your nonsense. Now don't you—' I know you do. Think just so, too? Think just so, too. Do you hear the creature? replied Florence. No, sir, you can speak for yourself in this matter, but I beg leave to enter my protest when you speak for me, too. Well, now, where is there, cuz, among all our circle, a young girl that has any sort of purpose or object in life to speak of? except to make herself as interesting and agreeable as possible to be admired and to pass her time in as amusing a way as she can where will you find one between fifteen and twenty that has any serious regard for the improvement and best welfare of those with whom she is connected at all or that modifies her conduct in the least with reference to it now cousin in very serious earnest you have about as much real character as much earnestness and depth of feeling and as much good sense when one can get at it as any young lady of them all and yet on your conscience can you say that you live with any sort of reference to anybody's good or to anything but your own amusement and gratification what a shocking adjuration replied the lady prefaced too by a three-story compliment well being so adjured i must think to the best of my ability and now seriously and soberly i don't see as i am selfish i do all that i have any occasion to do for anybody you know that we have servants to do everything that is necessary about the house so that there is no occasion for my making any display of housewifery excellence 
and i wait on mamma if she has a headache and hand papa his slippers and newspaper and find uncle john's spectacles for him twenty times a day no small matter that and then but after all what is the object and purpose of your life why i haven't any i don't see how i can have any that is as i am made now you know i have none of the fussing baby tending herb tea making recommendations of aunt sally divers others of the class commonly called useful indeed to tell the truth i think useful persons are commonly rather fussy and stupid they are just like the bonset and whorehound and catnip very necessary to be raised in the garden but not in the least ornamental and you charming young ladies who philosophize in kid slippers and french dresses are the tulips and roses very charming and delightful and sweet, but fit for nothing on earth but parlor ornaments. Well, parlor ornaments are good in their way, said the young lady, coloring and looking a little vexed. So you give up the point, then, said the gentleman, that you girls are good for just to amuse yourselves, amuse others, look pretty, and be agreeable. Well, and if we behave well to our parents and are amiable in the family i don't know and yet said florence sighing i have often had a sort of vague idea of something higher that we might become yet really what more than this is expected of us what else can we do i used to read in old-fashioned novels about ladies visiting the sick and the poor replied edward you remember kelebs in search of a wife yes truly that is to say i remember the story part of it and the love scenes but as for all those everlasting conversations of dr barlow mr stanley and nobody knows who else i skip those of course but really this visiting and tending the poor and all that seems very well in a story where the lady goes into a picturesque cottage half overgrown with honeysuckle and finds an emaciated but still beautiful woman propped up by pillows but come to the downright matter-of-fact of poking about in all these vile, dirty alleys, and entering little dark rooms amid troops of grinning children, and smelling codfish and onions, and nobody knows what. Dear me, my benevolence always evaporates before I get through. I'd rather pay anybody five dollars a day to do it for me than do it myself. The fact is that I have neither fancy nor nerves for this kind of thing. Well, granting then, that you can do nothing for your fellow creatures, unless you are to do it in the most genteel, comfortable, and picturesque manner possible. Is there not a great field for a woman like you, Florence, in your influence over your associates, with your talents for conversation, your tact and self-possession, and ladylike gift of saying anything you choose? Are you not responsible, in some wise, for the influence you exert over those by whom you are surrounded? I never thought of that, replied Florence. Now you remember the remarks that Mr. Fortesque made the other evening on the religious services at church? Yes, I do. And I thought then he was too bad. And I do not suppose there was one of you ladies in the room that did not think so too. But yet the matter was all passed over with smiles, and with not a single insinuation 
that he had said anything unpleasing or disagreeable. Well, what could we do? One does not want to be rude, you know. Do? Could you not, Florence? You who have always taken the lead in society, and who have been noted for always being able to say and do what you please, could you not have shown him that those remarks were unpleasing to you, as decidedly as you certainly would have done if they had related to the character of your father or brother? To my mind, a woman of true moral feeling should consider herself as much insulted when her religion is treated with contempt, as if the contempt were shown to herself. Do you not know the power which is given to you women to awe and restrain us in your presence, and to guard the sacredness of things which you treat as holy? Believe me, Florence, that Fortesque, infidel as he is, would reverence a woman with whom he dared not trifle on sacred subjects. Florence rose from her seat with a heightened color, her dark eyes brightening through tears. I am sure what you say is just, cousin, and yet I have never thought of it before. I will. I am determined to begin, after this, to live with some better purpose than I have done. And let me tell you, Florence, in starting a new course, as in learning to walk, taking the first step is everything. Now, I have a first step to propose to you. Well, cousin, well, you know, I suppose that among your train of adorers, you number Colonel Elliot? Florence smiled. And perhaps you do not know what is certainly true, that among the most discerning and cool part of his friends, Elliot is considered as a lost man. Good heavens, Edward, what do you mean? Simply this, that with all his brilliant talents, his amiable and generous feelings, and his success in society, Eliot has not self-control enough to prevent his becoming confirmed in intemperate habits. I never dreamed of this, replied Florence. I knew that he was spirited and free, fond of society and excitable, but never suspected anything beyond. Eliot has tact enough never to appear in ladies' society when he is not in a fit state for it, replied Edward. But yet it is so. But is he really so bad? He stands just on the verge, Florence, just where a word fitly spoken might turn him. He is a noble creature, full of all sorts of fine impulses and feelings, the only son of a mother who dotes on him the idolized brother of sisters who love him as you love your brother florence and he stands where a word a look so they be of the right kind might save him and why then do you not speak to him said florence because i am not the best person florence there is another who can do it better one whom he admires who stands in a position which would forbid his feeling angry. A person, cousin, whom I have heard in gayer moments, say that she knew how to say anything she pleased without offending anybody. Oh, Edward, said Florence, coloring, do not bring up my foolish speeches against me, and do not speak as if I ought to interfere in this matter, for indeed I cannot do it. 
I never could in the world, and I am certain I could not. And so, said Edward, you, whom I heard say so many things which no one else could say, or dared to say, you, who have gone on with your laughing assurance in your own powers of pleasing, shrink from trying that power when a noble and generous heart might be saved by it. You have been willing to venture a great deal for the sake of amusing yourself and winning admiration, but you dare not say a word for any high or noble purpose. Do you not see how you confirm what I said of the selfishness of you women? But you must remember, Edward, this is a matter of great delicacy. That word delicacy is a charming coverall in all these cases, Florence. Now here is a fine noble-spirited young man, away from his mother and sisters, away from any family friend who might care for him, tempted, betrayed, almost to ruin, and a few words from you, said as a woman knows how to say them, might be his salvation. But you will coldly look on and see him go to destruction, because you have too much delicacy to make the effort." like the man that would not help his neighbor out of the water because he had never had the honor of an introduction. But, Edward, consider how peculiarly fastidious Elliot is, how jealous of any attempt to restrain and guide him. And just for that reason it is that men of his acquaintance cannot do anything with him. But what are you women made with so much tact and power of charming for, if it is not to do these very things that we cannot do? it is a delicate matter true and has not heaven given to you a fine touch and a fine eye for just such delicate matters have you not seen a thousand times that what might be resented as an impertinent interference on the part of a man comes to us as a flattering expression of interest from the lips of a woman well but cousin what would you have me do how would you have me do it said florence earnestly. You know that fashion, which makes so many wrong turns, and so many absurd ones, has at last made one good one, and it is now a fashionable thing to sign the temperance pledge. Elliot himself would be glad to do it, but he foolishly committed himself against it in the outset, and now feels bound to stand to his opinion. He has too been rather rudely assailed by some of the apostles of the new state of things who did not understand the peculiar points of his character. In short, I am afraid that he will feel bound to go to destruction for the sake of supporting his own opinion. Now, if I should undertake with him, he might shoot me. But I hardly think there is anything of the sort to be apprehended in your case. Just try your enchantments. You have bewitched wise men into doing foolish things before now. Try now, if you can't bewitch a foolish man into doing a wise thing. Florence smiled archly, but instantly grew more thoughtful. Well, cousin, she said, I will try, though you are liberal in your ascriptions of power, yet I can put the matter to the test of experiment. Florence Elmore was, at the time we speak of, in her twentieth year, born of one of the wealthiest families, highly educated and accomplished, idolized by her parents and brothers, she had entered the world 
as one born to command. With much native nobleness and magnanimity of character, with warm and impulsive feelings, and a capability of everything high or great, she had hitherto lived solely for her own amusement, and looked on the whole brilliant circle by which she was surrounded with all its various actors as something got up for her special diversion. The idea of influencing anyone, for better or worse, by anything she ever said or did had never occurred to her. The crowd of admirers of the other sex, who, as a matter of course, were always about her, she regarded as so many sources of diversion. But the idea of feeling any sympathy with them as human beings, or of making use of her power over them for their improvement, was one that had never entered her head. Edward Ashton was an old bachelor cousin of Florence's, who, having earned the title of oddity in general society, availed himself of it to exercise a turn for telling the truth to the various young ladies of his acquaintance, especially to his fair cousin Florence. We remark, by the by, that these privileged truth-tellers are quite unnecessary of life to young ladies in the full tide of society, and we really think it would be worth while for every dozen of them to unite to keep a person of this kind on a salary for the benefit of the whole. However, that is nothing to our present purpose. We must return to our fair heroine, whom we left at the close of the last conversation, standing in deep reverie by the window. It's more than half true, she said to herself. More than half. Here I am, twenty years old, and never have thought of anything, never done anything except to amuse and gratify myself. No purpose, no object, nothing high, nothing dignified, nothing worth living for. Only a parlor ornament. Hi-ho! Well, I really do believe I could do something with this Elliot. And yet, how dare I try? Now, my good readers, if you were anticipating a love story, we must hasten to put in our disclaimer. You are quite mistaken in that case. Our fair, brilliant heroine was, at this time of speaking, as heart-whole as the diamond on her bosom, which reflected the light in too many sparkling rays ever to absorb it. She had, to be sure, half in earnest, half in jest, maintained a bantering platonic sort of friendship with George Eliot. She had danced, ridden, sung and sketched with him but so had she with twenty other young men and as to coming to anything tender with such a quick brilliant restless creature elliot would as soon have undertaken to sentimentalize over a glass of soda water no there was decidedly no love in this case what a curious ring that is said elliot to her a day or two after as they were reading together. "'It's a knight's ring,' said she, playfully, as she drew it off and pointed to a coral cross set in the gold. "'A ring of the Red Cross Knights. Come now, I've a great mind to bind you to my service with it.' "'Do, Lady Fair,' 
said Elliot, stretching out his hand for the ring. No, then, said she, if you take this pledge that you must obey whatever commands I lay upon you in its name. I swear, said Elliot, in a mock heroic, and placed the ring on his finger. An evening or two after, Elliot attended Florence to a party at Mrs. B.'s. Everything was gay and brilliant, and there was no lack either of wit or wine. Elliot was standing in a little alcove, spread with refreshments, with a glass of wine in his hand. "'I forbid it. The cup is poisoned,' said a voice in his ear. He turned quickly, and Florence was at his side. Everyone was busy, with laughing and talking around, and nobody saw the sudden start and flush that these words produced as Elliot looked earnestly in the lady's face. She smiled and pointed playfully to the ring, but after all there was in her face an expression of agitation and interest which she could not repress, and Elliot felt, however playful the manner, that she was in earnest and as she glided away in the crowd, he stood with his arms folded and his eyes fixed on the spot where she disappeared. Is it possible that I am suspected, that there are things said of me as if I were in danger? Were the first thoughts that flashed through his mind. How strange that a man may appear doomed, given up and lost to the eye of every looker-on, before he begins to suspect himself. This was the first time that any defined apprehension of loss of character had occurred to Elliot, and he was startled, as if from a dream. "'What the deuce is the matter with you, Elliot? You look as solemn as a hearse,' said a young man nearby. "'Has Miss Elmore cut you?' said another. "'Come, man, have a glass,' said a third. "'Let him alone. He's bewitched,' said a fourth. "'I saw the spell laid on him. None of us can say, but our turn may come next.' An hour later that evening, Florence was talking with her usual spirit to a group who were collected around her, when suddenly looking up she saw Elliot, standing in an abstracted manner at one of the windows that looked out into the balcony. He is offended, I dare say, she thought. But what do I care? For once in my life I have tried to do a right thing, a good thing. I have risked giving offense for less than this, many a time. Still, Florence could not but feel tremulous when a few moments after Elliot approached her and offered his arm for a promenade. They walked up and down the room, she talking volubly, and he answering yes and no, till at length, as if by accident, he drew her into the balcony which overhung the garden. The moon was shining brightly, and everything without, in its placid quietness, contrasted strangely with the busy, hurrying scene within. Miss Elmore, said Elliot abruptly, may I ask you sincerely, had you any design in a remark you made to me in the early part of the evening? Florence paused, and though habitually the most practiced and self-possessed of women, 
the color actually receded from her cheek as she answered yes mr elliot i must confess that i had and is it possible then that you have heard anything i have heard mr elliot that which makes me tremble for you and for those whose life i know is bound up in you and tell me were it well or friendly in me to know that such things were said that such danger existed and not to warn you of it elliot stood for a few moments in silence have i offended have i taken too great a liberty said florence gently hitherto elliot had only seen in florence the self-possessed assured light-hearted woman of fashion but there was a reality and depth of feeling in the few words she had spoken to him in this interview that opened to him entirely a new view in her character no miss elmore replied he earnestly after some pause i may be pained offended i cannot be to tell the truth i have been thoughtless excited dazzled my spirits naturally buoyant have carried me often too far and lately i have painfully suspected my own powers of resistance i have really felt that i needed help but have been too proud to confess even to myself that i needed it you miss elmore have done what perhaps no one else could have done i am overwhelmed with gratitude and i shall bless you for it to the latest day of my life i am ready to pledge myself to anything you may ask on this subject then said florence do not shrink from doing what is safe and necessary and right for you to do because you have once said you would not do it you understand me precisely replied elliot and you shall be obeyed it was not more than a week before the news was circulated that even george elliot had signed the pledge of temperance there was much wondering at this sudden turn among those who had known his utter repugnance to any measure of the kind and the extent to which he had yielded to temptation but few knew how fine and delicate had been the touch to which his pride had yielded End of chapter 27